look great. You're doing good. You are fabulous. Yes, that's right. Welcome to the podcast for moms by this mama, keeping it raw, real, and unfiltered every Thursday. Let's get into Christian Mom Uncensored. Hey, hey, hey. So before I kick off this episode, I wanted to remind you all to join the Mom Space on Facebook. Again, if you cannot find it, um, you can either add me as a friend on Facebook. I'm Brittany Stewart, um, B-R-I-T-T-N-E-Y, like Brittany Spears, but with two T's, and um, last name Stewart. Or you can fi- like DM me on Instagram, and I can just send you the link to the group. That way you know you're joining the right group because that's going to be a place for us to connect um as I get my life together (laughs) um and I like the group because I feel like it's a place that's like it's private so we can like be honest and anonymous and like what happens in the group stays in the group um and also just be like hey I'm really struggling with like this or hey I'm really going through that and so posted some news in there that I've only shared with the group that's really exciting, and I can't wait to talk about it more. I'm just going to give it, um, I think, one more week. I thought I was ready, but I guess I'm not really ready to talk about it. So we'll see. Um, watch me be a hypocrite by the end of this episode. <laughs> just, like, spill the beans because that's who I am. But I did want to talk about something else. So it is officially the end of September. And I'm surprised at how quickly it went by. Um, school started. Mia has made so many friends. And I'm comforted in the decision to send her every day. I So last year, she only went twice, twice a day. And I contemplated sending her three times a week, but all day. Or sending her every day. And what my advice or my feelings about, like, when you're sending your kid to preschool, what is the best thing to do? I will honestly say that I'm glad I just did two days a week last year. Um, I think it was a good like start for school. Now with Elliot, I'm not sure if I will do two or three days a week yet. Um, I have another year to think about it. He'll be an older two-year-old, so he'll be entering the two-year-old class, but he'll be really turning almost three because of his birthday being late. And so I'm not sure if it just makes sense to send him three days a week. I don't know what the two-year-old options are at Mia school. But I will say that, you know, in the month of September, I've watched Mia, you know, she started school right after Labor Day. So it's been like maybe three weeks. But she has made friends and three of the kids in her class are on her soccer team. And so I... I don't know why I'm getting emotional. Oh my gosh, I'm I'm so emotional all the time. Um, I'm like really glad with the class she's in this year because the COVID circumstances last year just really affected the relationship building that we weren't able to do as parents, you know? So it's getting to the point where, you know, I'm going into line every day and seeing the same people and chatting. Um, and getting to the point where, you know, Mia mentions the same four little girls' names that, like, as soon as I see, like, oh, you're who so-and-so's mom, Mia was always talking about her. We should set up a play date. And I'm, I'm really glad to see this, like, social development in her because I do feel like whether we like it or not, 
with the pandemic and everything, it did affect our kids, especially our little kids. And I think it did affect like our seniors in high school. I'm not taking away from that because I know like both my brother and my sister graduated kind of like back to back um, during COVID where there were restrictions and, you know, I watched graduation on a computer screen for them and compare instead of like being there in person. And so they're, you know, everyone did the best, the best they could with COVID and found ways to make it special and memorable. And they'll have stories for like, you know, when I was in school, I didn't get a graduation because of this crazy pandemic, but with our little people, um, I think I've said it before, but this one teacher, this kindergarten teacher said, it is way more important for your child to come with social emotional skills to school than it is for them to come with the ability to write their name, to know all their letters, to be able to count to a certain number. Um, we'll teach them that if they don't know it, right? It's harder to teach those like social, social emotional skills. And so um, with sending Mia to school every single day, you know, she knows every single day and she's building like a bond with these kids where, you know, every day she's going to see these kids, they're going to become her friends. And that just feels really good to me as somebody who went through such a period of grief when I lost one of my really close mom friends as a friend. Um... And of course the pain was there because of my feelings towards this person. Like I I cared about this person. She was my girl. Like I prayed for her. I love her. I like did things like this is like when you, when you're in my life, I treat you like my best friend. And, um, Mia quickly became really close friends with her daughter and to see that relationship kind of get ripped away from her. I, I remember there were weeks that went by after our friendship ended that um, Mia would ask about her friend. And then I would just cry because I wouldn't know what to do. And I would say, oh, she's busy or I'll try my best as soon as we can. And it was during COVID. So I didn't have a place to fill that void. Like, you know, if it wasn't during COVID, you know, there was mom meetups. There was, you know, I could... I could do better, but I was, you know, Elliot was not even a year old at the time and he was just born really. I was really careful just having a new baby and, um, I don't know. That was just like one of the most, the, one of the times in my life I felt so guilty and I had like no way of fixing it. And I know as moms, we talk about the guilt a lot and, um, it's hard because the guilt is like because we have this such drive to be like good and perfect parents and maybe even if we're not perfect we want to be really really good parents and we want our kids to know that they're loved and we want them to know that they're safe and we want to see them thrive and we want to see them happy and when things kind of get in the way of that or we think things get in the way of that we feel guilty um as a working mom I know that one of the biggest struggles that I've had from Mia to now. And it's definitely changed over the years as I've gotten older. Um, When I had Mia, I was 25 years old and I felt like stay-at-home moms were just the better moms because they were with their child every minute of every day. I felt like that. I felt like 
you know, there's no way they'll miss a milestone. They're always there to catch someone when they fall. And we know that's not true because kids just be wild. Like you, you're like you, you go to the, the pantry to have a snack real quick and someone's falling down the stairs, but you know what I mean? And so I would meet up with these moms. They were both stay at home moms. And I think it was by, for them, it was by necessity. Like who was going to watch their kids? Like they were, they didn't have any, you know, way there was the work that they would have done. Wouldn't have like covered childcare. You know what I mean? Like, so it, it wouldn't make sense to work. It made sense for them to stay home. And so I thought they were just these better moms and I was getting up and I was, you know, nursing at 5am and pumping, you know, every couple hours at work and drinking all of these um, body armor drinks to get my supply to stay up. And I was like counting the hours I was away. And I didn't realize how painful that period of my life was um, because I was working to, to be something that like I wasn't. And, um, the best compliments I got from everyone was like, I mean, you go to work, but you're basically a stay-at-home mom. Like, you do the most as a mom. Um, and I did. And then the pandemic, I don't know why I'm telling you all my story. I'm just going to tell you all my story because this, this, this is my podcast. Um, and um, I had Elliot and I was planning to leave work because, again, in my head, being a stay-at-home mom was the best. And with my job, I will say this about the job that I have it provides well for me and my family. Um, and I like what I'm doing right now. Is it my life calling and my passion? It fulfills some of it in some ways, but no. And I, um, am really going through this, this phase of, I've been saying I'm going to transition out and leave. I'm going to transition out and leave. I'm going through like a re- birth of myself really as I enter my 30s where I the maturity in me sees how things are lining up for the better but that means I have to stick it out a little longer and that's okay and I think it's so funny how in mom communities we always think the other type of parent is the better parent right and I remember this because when I was being that working mom that was like doing the most like I'm talking about the earliest I could get off of work was 2 30 so I had to be at work at 6 so I had to be up at 4 30 so then I had to like wake me up to nurse her and then like pack all my pump parts and then go drop and then my husband would drop her off because his job started at like nine so I was at work at six he was at work at like nine and so he would drop me off and then as soon as 2 30 would come I'd be all packed I'd make hard and I, she was like not even five minutes down the street and I would go get her by 2 35 and I'd be like okay so I'm with you from 2 30 to 8 30 so that's 2 to 3 3 to 4 4 to 5 5 to 6 6 to 7 7 to 8 that's six hours during the day and then but I'm also with you all night and then I would add the weekend hours and I would take off sometimes so I would have more hours with her so she was with me more than she wasn't and it was this whole mental game of being this this great mom and um I remember my friends that were not working would look at me and be like, I mean, but you're so fancy. And I'm not even, not even fancy, but like, look at you, you get up, you, you get dressed in office clothes and you go to your job and you pick up your, like you're doing a lot. And and they would feel like, oh, maybe perhaps I was the better parent. And at the end of the day, there isn't a better parent, right? Like a working mom versus a stay at home mom 
one's not better than the other. It just depends on what's called for for your family. And when God constructed the family that you would have, the needs that your family would have, he knew what you would be doing. He knew that you would either be called to stay home or you would be called to work and you would do these other things. And so I went and talked with somebody and I was like really planning my future and talking about my future um, and the the passions that I have for helping women, specifically mothers, um, but also all women because womanhood is just a thing. And um, it's coming from this year of like looking at the areas I've struggled and looking at the passions I originally had and then like working all of those things together, right? Um, And um, like trying to heal from the things that I've been finding and then also like trying to move towards this life I want to create and be like Rachel Hollis who's like, hey, let me be like a millionaire and I want this and I want that. Um, Let me be a boss mom. Let me be a boss babe and all these things. But really, um, I forgot where I was going. At this point, this is my problem. Um, I realized that, here's what I was going to say. When it comes to motherhood, some moms required their kids to be perfect at the dinner table. Well-dressed. Everyone sits at the dinner table every day and has a full four-course meal Everyone helps clean up the dishes. And some moms, they all sit on the living room floor and turn on their favorite family show and eat and talk. And one mom isn't better than the other. You know, one mom's more this way, one mom's more that. We're all just doing what what we have to do. And I think that as long as we're doing what we have to do, we're doing the best that we can. And we really have to give ourselves grace. And it's harder It's harder to do than to say. It's easier to say than to do, right? Like, I'm going to give myself grace. I remember when I first brought home Elliot, how scared I was about losing time with Mia. You know, she's my firstborn. She's my girl. And so with a new baby they require a lot of attention. And I never wanted to say, hold on, Mia, Elliot needs this. I've always, I didn't want it to make it seem like his needs were higher than hers. And I was really aware of that when, when I first brought him home. Now I can say, hold on, Mia, Elliot needs a quick diaper change. And she's like, okay, he needs a diaper change. She's four. But when she was two, I was really careful about how I worded everything. And, um, I would want, I would say things like instead of, hold on, Elliot needs a diaper change, I would say, hey, Mia, why don't we change your brother's diaper and then we can play this or then we can do that and kind of say it in a way that wasn't like, he needs this, so we're going to do this. More like, you know, well, first we're going to do this and then we'll do that and just keep it light. And I was really conscious of that. Um, But, and I always thought like moms who had natural births were better. Moms that were crunchier were better. And now that I'm mature and I have healthy children, right? Thank you, God, for that. I have healthy, smart, beautiful children. I just look at them and I'm like, it doesn't matter how you got here. Because I had epidurals. Like, <laughs> let's be honest. It doesn't matter how you got here. They, I did have V-backs with both. Um, but you're here. 
and I love the baby stage. It goes by so fast. It's the sweetest, snuggliest, most exhausting stage. Actually, honestly, newborn tired is tired, but two-year-old tired is a different kind of tired, I'll tell you. Um, New year tired, newborn tired is like you're in a daze, like it's everything's foggy. Two-year-old toddler is like you're fully aware of how tired you are at all moments and you cannot wait to go to sleep, but there's a child jumping off of some object in the house and you have to catch them and there's crumbs everywhere and then there's a tantrum because the purple plate is not clean. That is what two-year-olds are like, but I don't know, just like in reflection, like I'm really understanding now because I was so afraid for my kids to get older and I still am. And I remind myself every day they're little, they're still little, like they're still little. Um, and I know one day I'll be like, wow, they're not so little. Um, but I realize that every stage is sweet and has its own cool things to discover. Mia at four, who still says some words wrong and is still really funny and so innocent, um, but she's a big girl. She can get dressed by herself and go to the bathroom by herself and get her own snack. And she's smart and she can count and she can add. And like, she's so smart. But, you know, I'm the baby stage was like the cuddliest, like there's so much drool and so many kisses and so many cuddles. And now she still wants to cuddle. But now it's like big kid cuddles. I don't know. So anyway, I'm going on and on and on. But the end of the month is here. And I cannot believe September is here and Elliot is going to turn two. And so I wanted to talk about, I don't know if you guys are not interested, I'm sorry, um, my birth experiences with both of my kids and what I've learned from them and what I want other women to know from them because I have spoken with other women and friends and realize how blindly some people have walked into birth. Not to say that it's wrong. But just to say, like, this is what I've learned from my experiences, and um, I just love reflecting on them. So, like, who doesn't love to tell their birth story? So, I'm going to reflect on mine. As we basically birth into another month. I don't know if that sounded weird, but moving on. So, when I was pregnant with Mia, I planned, we planned for her. She, I got pregnant really quickly, um, faster than I expected, and my pregnancy, I had morning sickness on the nine. I was huge. Um, and I went to the place where my, uh, my gynecologist was. They were their OBGYN, like normal practice, but you know, I only saw the GYN part until I got pregnant. And so at the practice, you have to see, um, every doctor. And I remember I really wanted to be able to work from home and I had like my manager saying like if you want to work from home get your doctor to say that you have to work from home like say that you're you're you could you know you can't physically do it and so I was on a rotation I asked this one doctor and he just flat out told me no I can't make up something for you and it rubbed me the wrong way um and I just really did not want to see him in, in childbirth and he pissed me off and I saw every doctor and I had my preferences um, for one in particular who I love, Dr. Jacobs. She's so sweet. Um, really, really good bedside manner. And not every doctor has that, you know, some doctors, you know, they do this every day. It is a job. Um, but it was just really personal. And so I would like always request to see her. Like I've seen everyone. So if she's available, can I see her? 
And I remember that I just thought that babies never made it to 40 weeks, which was really naive. And I, when I was 38 weeks pregnant, started my maternity leave because I was really afraid of going into labor. Um, and we moved. So we moved from our apartment um, in Hagerstown, Maryland to Owings Mills, Maryland. And the apartment that we lived at previously was like open. It was kind of like in the woods. It was very like mountainy. And like, so if you think about the areas that I lived in, I went from living like in a mountainous like area in a smaller town where um, when I went to go get coffee every morning, the lady knew me. I used to walk the the streets of this campus with my dog. Like it was a really great apartment place. It was really great. Uh, my gym was there. I had, and so then I moved back to Williams Mills. And I kind of grew up there. That's where I went to high school and stuff. And uh, we moved to this apartment and it was nice. We didn't really have any issues until one day the ceiling caved in and it took forever for them to fix it. And I was really pregnant and I was really stressed out about it. And I was like, listen, it was two feet from my bed. The baby's bassinet would have been there if it was up. You need to fix it. And they really gave us hell for it. And after that, I said I would never live in an apartment again. And, um, but I lived there with Mia for her first year, her first two years, really. Well, no, her first year, because we moved to the house that we're in now when she turned two, before she turned two. We moved in May. She turned two in July. Um, and I sat for two weeks waiting to go into labor and cried every night when I didn't. And to top it all off, there was a woman at our church. So I was, we were like at this church who was due after me and she went into labor before me. And I remember distinctively that my mom was having this women's group thing and we went to, I went to it and everyone would be like, oh, you're going to go to labor. And I was like, so over it. Cause I felt like they were jinxing it. Like I had been going on walks. I had been sidestepping. Oh, also during this pregnancy, I did prenatal yoga once a week and I did, um, a birth class with my yoga instructor who also is a doula, but she was not mine. And then I went and did the hospital birth class and I pretty much knew everything by the time I did the hospital class. Cause like I listened to this podcast called the birth hour, which if you like birth stories, it's just so good. I just was obsessed with it. Um, I'd actually love to be on it and I'm going to go ahead and make a submission, but I got really informed anyway. And so then I remember distinctively that I went to the doctors when I was 30, like 39 weeks. No, I was 30. It was like, maybe I was 39 weeks. And, um, she was like, well, nope, you are not dilated. And I went into my car and I sobbed cause I had, I had taken the time off, you know, two weeks before the, my due date. Cause I thought the baby Mia would come. And all I could think about was I wasted this time. Cause like, if I would have just stayed at work, I would have had those two weeks on the back end to be with Mia. And so that was my first instance of mom guilt. And, but what ended up happening was that like, little did I know, I got to like sit on my yoga ball and binge watch TV. I got to take walks. I got to spend like two weeks by myself, really um, having like a break that you never get in life. Like you don't ever just have this time to yourself. And so it was really actually good because, you know, after that, I just had me and then I had Elliot and, you know, he never stops after that. And so having that time where I could just be worry about me 
and I was baking a lot of banana bread at the time too. So anyway, my water broke. Um, on a Thursday night, no, my water didn't break. On a Thursday night, um, I'm sorry, I went to my mom's house and they were gonna watch um this movie War Room. It's a really great movie if you are um a believer. Such a good movie. I watched it and cried so much. It's such a good movie. Um, and I'm actually gonna watch it again. I think it'd be good for my soul. But I was at this thing and they were, I didn't stay for the whole movie because I was just tired and ready to go home. My mom was like, just come get some food. So I got some food, took it home to eat them. And I was like, you know what, babe, I'm going to bed. And I thought like maybe we should get it on that night to maybe start labor. And that night I literally was like, you know what? Because at this point I have been so stressed out about how many days were going by that I wasn't in labor because all I could think about was this is a day you could have been home with your child before going back to work. And it was just such a toxic thought process. But I remember saying, you know what, I'm going to go to bed. And like, she's going to come when she's going to come. If she doesn't come when I wake up, I'm going to go enjoy my day. And literally, I woke up in the middle of the night thinking I had to poop, ran to the bathroom, and nothing came out and went away. I went lay back down. So then I kept, I like paid more attention to the feeling. And I asked this Facebook group I was in, like, am I in labor? It really feels like I have to poop and then it goes away. It's like a lot of pressure. And they're like, yeah, those are contractions. And I was like, oh my God. And so I, for some reason, just thought labor happened really fast. And I know with your first, it can take a long time. But again, I was like, it's not going to take forever. And so I got in the bathtub for a while and they were getting like uncomfortable, not like painful, but uncomfortable. And so I was timing them from like 1 a.m. till 3 a.m. And then finally I had Ethan take over timing because I was like, listen, if we're actually going to have a baby, I need some sleep. And I could not lay in the bed. So we had this big recliner. I sat, he was, he slept on the couch in our living room and I sat up in the recliner and I would just say contraction and he would start the timer and he would stop it. And so there was a point where they were like 10 minutes apart. And so but they were like steadily 10 minutes apart. And so I was thinking like, you know, we're not going to have a baby for a while, but at least it's the start. And so I asked him not to go to work that day and he did it. Um, and he had no leave, like his job at the time he worked at a preschool. And so it was just like a day without pay. And so whatever, we just dealt with it. But then we, when woke up in the morning, I ate some cereal. We went for a walk and I stepped on the curb. We lived at the top of this hill and I almost died. I ran into my pastor looking completely crazy. And I told my mom in the middle of the night, like, oh my God. Oh, and I lost my mucus plug in the middle of the night. Maybe to my TMI, but I did. And with each child, I lose that thing. And then it happens pretty quickly after, um, like in the next day or so. And so I went um, noticed that it was gone. And then I was like, whatever, whatever. And we, by the middle of the day, my contractions, I kind of stopped. Like they were start stop and they weren't consistent enough for me. And I was just getting annoyed because I felt like he's just going to have to go to work tomorrow. The baby's not coming, but I had a doctor's appointment that day with, um, my favorite doctor, Dr. Jacobs. And, um, I was just nervous because at this point contractions were there, but they weren't consistent. And so we ended up getting sandwiches and I was like, let's get sandwiches. Cause if we don't finish them, we could take them with us if we were to have a baby. Cause, and then literally my water broke and it was like, I was involuntarily peeing. And so I was standing, 
and I stood up and my water started to break and I was like I'm involuntarily peeing and Ethan was like well get off the carpet so I hopped off the carpet onto the hardwood because I thought that would be easier to clean and I was like okay that was something like I've never peed my pants before like that isn't like a sneeze and pee that was like my water broke and so we went to the doctors and I wasn't having that many contractions and so I was annoyed I think like I I like scared them away and so we she goes to do her thing and she's like oh we'll see because like the week before I wasn't dilated it wasn't a face and she was like oh your water's broken you're going to the hospital so here's the first thing if you are going to have a hospital birth if your water breaks they want you to go in like within 24 hours I'll say I knew that there was no need to rush and so we went back to the home we went back to our apartment. I picked up the nurse's um, gift basket, which was just like a whole bunch of snacks and some sanitizer. I don't know. And I changed my outfit again. I had Ethan. So I had laid out like my delivery clothes. I did not do this with, oh, I did do this with Elliot. They just weren't like, I just didn't pick cute things because I knew my water was going to break. And so she gave me like a puppy pad or whatever to sit in the car. And so we, we went back home, grabbed all of our bags, and we went to the hospital. Um, probably an hour after my doctor's appointment, so not long. And so we got there. They're like, "Oh, we were worried. You're not here." And I was like, "There was not really a rush." And they hooked me up to machines, and they're like checking everything. And I was in labor for 37 hours, <laughs> 36 hours with Mia. It was a long time. And so with that labor, um, Ethan was really great. He was really in my face, I had to hold on to his wallet, which sounds really bad, but like his wallet, he was wearing these gym shorts and his wallet was in it. And when I had a contraction, I would kind of lean against him and squeeze his wallet over squeezing his hand. And they got me a yoga ball and, um, just know it when you get to the hospital, they are, they, they are on a clock and they are on the clock for a number of reasons. And so, when it comes to birth, I think if you are vocal and have a, a voice and opinion, they'll listen to you. I, I had a birth plan typed out, but I didn't want, I've read so many, I've seen so many nurses say, if you give me a birth plan, I'm just going to laugh at you. Um, but I did give my nurse a birth plan and we had the best nurse. She was so great. She was with me through the night. I had really, I've, had, I've only had really great nurses at this hospital. Um, and of course I couldn't eat. And so I was, I went 24 hours at the hospital without an epidural or anything, but then the next day I did get one. And the reason why, not that I have to justify it. I think it's crazy that sometimes we feel like we have to justify medicating during labor. Labor is hard. Um, was I was exhausted. And so at this point I was talking, I was like, I don't know if I can do this. And I was watching my contractions too. So with Mia and my labor with Mia, what we noticed was that my contractions would peak really, really high, right? Like, you know how like the chart, they go up, but they would not come down for a long time. So typically contractions last like how long you're like, you want them to be at least a minute long, five minutes apart, right? That's the rule. You want them to be a minute long, five minutes apart, lasting for an hour before you go to the hospital. That's like the rule, but mine would be lasting like three minutes long and be would be like, so anyway, by the time that it was a whole day later, I was so exhausted and they were like, you need to sleep 
or you're not going to want to, you're not going to have the strength to push this baby out. And so I got an epidural and I was like, oh my gosh, what was I doing? And I had some broth and I went to sleep and Mia came later. And, um, I will say that my anesthesiologist was great. I know people have epidural horror stories. No, he was so kind. And even with Elliot, my anesthesiologist was like so sweet. I had like a pink eye mask. He was like, oh my gosh, you're so cute for labor. And I was like, oh my gosh, really? Thanks. And it was like really good experience both times in the hospital. Now that being said, these were still hospital births. So, um, with Elliot, it was a little bit different because it was COVID and, um, I had a doula and my doula was friends with like the head nurse and that head nurse actually trained her to be a doula. And so with Elliot, we got to the hospital. Um, and if you don't know his birth story is I had a scheduled induction, um, the night of my anniversary, my wedding anniversary, but my water broke a couple hours before. And so by the time we got to the hospital and my doula, so typically your doula will come once labor is really active, like once you're kind of settled and checked in. But because of COVID, she had to walk through the door with me. So she had her clothes packed, her sandwiches packed, like ready to go ahead. And she would take like breaks and leave the room and like hang out and rest. Um, and we went to the hospital all together and, um, this experience was just really different because with Mia, my whole entire family was there. And when I say my whole entire family, I mean my mom, my dad, my brothers, my sister, my aunt, my uncle, my grandparents, like everyone was there. Like everyone was there. Um, and like in and out, like I don't even, I was so delirious. Like when they asked like, dad, do you want to cut the umbilical cord? My, my dad cut me as umbilical cord because I thought like when they said dad, I wasn't registering like, oh, the dad is Ethan. Like the dad is my husband. They say dad. So I thought my dad. So I was like, dad, do you want to cut it? And he did because like he has, he's had four kids, one of which was a home birth. So like he knows what he's doing. Um, and it was like a big family celebration. The very first grandchild, super appropriate with Elliot. It was during COVID. And so really only my doula and Ethan were allowed and Mia was with my mom and Mia being away was the hardest thing in the world it was so hard to be away from her um and what was what happened was like I would FaceTime her and then she would cry because she'd miss me so I realized I had to stop I would just like text and just be like tell Mia I love her and I'll be home soon and I didn't want to call her because I didn't want to see her cry because then I would lose it but with this birth, um, it was like seven hours, maybe. So like it went from 37 to seven. So no, so my water broke probably at five or four o'clock in the afternoon. We got to the hospital at seven and then Elliot was born at seven. So it was like 14 hours compared to 37. But honestly, when my water broke, I wasn't in full-blown labor yet. Here's what I will say. The good thing about having a doula or a good birthing partner is they can run interference because when you're having contractions and you're like going through labor or whatever they call them, waves, whatever you want to call it when you're doing natural birth. Um, oh man, you, um, don't want, like, you might not be thinking clearly, like, you know, like you're like, do you want medicine? Yes, I do. But if you have a specific goal, you know, I'd rather wait until this point or whatever, whatever. 
um, they can kind of run interference. And so what Ethan did very well the first time, which I was surprised by, because I've heard so many dads not do as well, is they'd be like, oh, we're going to start Pitocin. And he'd be like, well, wait a minute. Do we need to start Pitocin right now? Is anyone medically in danger? Is there any harm in letting her, you know, try to progress on her own for another hour and then we revisit this? And he was able to run interference like that. Like he was like so mature for a 20, I was 25, he was 28. No, yes, five plus three is eight. <laughs> so he was 28. And so um, that was cool. So I really think it's important to <clears throat> have a good birth partner and and just know what you're going to be capable of, right? And all of that stuff. And so I was really um, comfortable going back for Mia's birth. I, I mean, for Elliot's birth, going back to the same hospital. I had a doula at that time. And like I said, the head nurse was trained my doula. So she really let us do whatever we wanted. I had um, easier contractions with Elliot, as in like they weren't as intense. And he was okay. Um in the hospital, they naturally do delay cord, delayed cord clamping, um, skin to skin right away. I breastfed right away. Like all the things that you kind of check off when you first want, you know, like when your baby first is born, like those things that are really important. They didn't give both of my kids baths for a long time after, which I feel like is so important not to bathe them right away because all that stuff that is on them is good for them. When they're first born, I know they're, like, kind of goopy. Um, of course, they got wiped down, but, like, it's good for them. Like, make, make sure they can breathe. Like, suck out everything so they can breathe. But um, the only thing was that when Elliot was born, he was really jittery. Like, really, really shaky. And so um, he was still, like, connected. Like, they didn't cl clamp his cord right away. And he, they had, like, put him over to the warmer. And they were doing all this stuff real quick. And they hadn't just placed him right on me. And I was kind of like, you're kind of like delirious, right? Like when you, after you give birth. And so I was like, what's going on? Like put them on me, put them on me. And it was only for like a minute or so. It was only for like a minute before they didn't, I mean, before they finally laid them on me. But it was like a long minute. Um, and so they were like, he's really, really jittery. And they thought it was because I had gestational diabetes and maybe my blood sugar was high or maybe my blood sugar was low. Um, when he came out and also having gestational diabetes. Let me just talk about that for a second too. I'll do that in a minute. Actually, I'll do it now. So, he, well, anyway, he ended up being fine. He went on my chest, nursed right away, and he literally stopped. He wasn't shaky anymore. Like he just needed warmth and to nurse. He was probably hungry. Um, but with gestational diabetes, my biggest fear was having a C-section. And or having something be wrong and Elliot have to like go to the NICU or something and be like, God forbid, away from me. Um, and I did not have that problem whatsoever, which was really good. Again, the only thing was he was really jittery when he first came out, but he was okay. And they like still gave him to me, but like they were monitoring him. The thing that, about gestational that does suck though is like, okay. <sighs> With gestational diabetes, right, there's not a lot you can do to prevent it, except for to eat really well, right? Like, and I mean, like, well-balanced, like, monitor your carb intake and exercise, right? And so I hadn't had any issues with Mia, so I was surprised when I had gestational with Elliot, and it was really hard 
to do because like you have to eat your food like within the like my goal is like once you start eating be done eating in 30 minutes and like sometimes you're not hungry and you have to eat on a certain schedule and you have to eat certain snacks and like you're trying to like maintain your sugar so it's like you eat and then you prick your finger like and then you have to make sure your blood sugar is okay and you log everything and you give it to the hospital and they analyze it and if it's too high they put you on insulin if you can't get it figured out and it's just like the stressful stressful thing and then you're just worried about labor and how are things going to look like during that like what's going to happen with the baby and things like that luckily like I said everything was fine and um afterwards you can immediately eat whatever you want they will continue to take your blood sugar while you're in labor and then once the baby's born they check his blood sugar they checked it three times like just to make sure he was okay. And he was. So it sucks because they're going to come in and prick your baby three times. And that means they're going to cry and they're going to be upset. And you know how emotional that is when your little tiny newborn is upset. Um, you pricking my finger, like I'm in labor. Like I don't feel this finger stick at this point. I've done this a million times. I, I'm in the middle of contractions. Like what? do whatever you got to do. Um, but their needle hurt way more than mine. And I was like, could you use a smaller needle? Like this is not that serious. Um, but every time my blood sugar was okay. And I was eating like cereal and things that like I couldn't eat before. And so I'm really skeptical about my gestational experience. Like I'm still, I'm still wondering if I really had it, which sounds crazy. Because that whole freaking test with the drinks is insane. The the whole screening is... It is insane to me because I, for one, if you give me this drink, I am going to throw it up. Every single time I have like projectile vomited after having this drink. And so I don't drink sugary things. I don't eat a lot of sugary things either. Now, I know that carbs and sugar are pretty much the same thing. And so it's not necessarily about how much sugar you're intaking. It's like your, how the carb breaks down or whatever. I've been low. Okay. So this is different because I wasn't like, I wasn't low carb before Elliot, but then like after I kind of worked that into my lifestyle a little bit, um, not right away, right, right after I ate Olive Garden. Cause I was like, I can finally eat pasta, but I, just feel like the whole screening is like, I would rather you check my, have me check my blood sugar every hour for 24 hours, even in the middle of the night. You could, I will check my blood sugar every hour for 24 hours and I guarantee it'll be normal. Why are you making me drink this drink? I don't drink sugary drinks. I don't like my coffee too sweet. I don't eat I never eat cakes, cookies, ice cream. I never eat any of, like, not never, but I very rarely eat anything like that. Like, if it comes to me, I'm a savory person. Like, I never want a snack. I'm not a snacker. I'm not going to be like, let me eat 50 Cheez-Its. I don't want 50 Cheez-Its. Whenever I want to eat, I want a meal. So when I want to eat, I want a half of a turkey sandwich. And if I want to eat, I want a charcuterie board. Like, whenever I want to eat, it's like meat and cheese really is what I want to eat. And so you forcing this, I don't drink soda. I, my biggest thing is iced coffee, like a sweet cream vanilla cold brew from Starbucks is my favorite coffee. Um, and that's the most sugar you're going to get out of me. So then you force me to drink this thing that I hate. 
Like, I would rather do a shot of vodka. Like, I would really rather do that. And then I haven't, you're not supposed to eat before you drink it, right? I am a natural throw-upper. Morning sickness always happens to me. Um, I get motion sick. So I have to drive without eating. I'm walking into the office nauseous. You can't take a sip of water like an hour before or something. Newsflash, I cheat and I will take a big gulp of water before I walk into this office um, if I have to. And they say with the one hour, you can eat something small and it shouldn't affect your blood sugar. BS, don't even eat because every time I eat, I fail the one hour. The one time I didn't eat, I passed it. So it was like, mm, I guess I should just not eat before I do this sugary crap. And then you, and when you do the three hour, it's worse because you really can't eat. And then you drink this drink and you have to hold it down for three hours. Me holding it down for an hour is like, okay. And so the first time with Elliot, I had to do the the three hour twice because I failed the one hour and I always fail the one hour and it's so annoying. And so I failed that. And so the first time with Elliot, I just threw the whole drink up. Like in the middle of the second hour, I was listening to this relaxing, like whatever. I was trying to sleep. I was so nauseous and I just threw it up. And I was like, what do you expect? You're giving me like so many freaking milligrams or grams or however you measure sugar is, I guess it's in grams of, of, of sugar, like straight sugar. Like I'd rather eat a spoonful of sugar than drink this crap. So anyway, <laughs> If you ask me what's the worst part of pregnancy, that is it. That. That. It's not like you, like, when you're in labor and they check you. I don't mind when they check me. I don't even remember, like, them. I mean, they checked me. And it's, like, uncomfortable, I guess. But, like, whatever. Like, I'm in labor. Like, just do whatever you got to do. Actually, the other thing. Okay, this is, like, TMI. And if you don't want to hear this, like, skip, like, 30 seconds. When my water breaks it like continues. It doesn't like, it's not like one big gush. It's like a gush and then like another gush and like it continues to break with contractions. So I just hate how like wet I feel because it's like my water keeps breaking and there's nothing I can do about it. And I just feel weird being like naked down there for all this time. Cause usually I wear underwear and it's just like, what is happening? <laughs> all right. Sorry about that. That was probably a little TMI, but I'm just saying labor's weird. But anyway, so my biggest advice for people is like inform yourself on the hospital. Um, I would ask moms and mom groups, where did you give birth? What was your experience? And, you know, things like that. Um, I got really comfortable with this hospital. Like I've been there a million times. I'm just so comfortable there. I they have, they have a subway. And so like the thing that I remember a lot from after my birth experiences is that me and Ethan eating a lot of Subway because they have a Subway. And so it'd be like, oh, it's not dinner time. Can you run down and get us sandwiches? Um, I hate taking a shower in that place. I, in fact, I will only take one shower. And I honestly, it's kind of gross. Like right after birth, I'm not hopping into that shower. I'm like in survival mode. But like the next morning, you know, I'll take a shower and do a full outfit change and like try to feel like a human again. And when the baby is, you know, asleep. Um, and I'm like a clingy mom. Like, I just want to be near the baby. The baby makes one sound. I'm picking the baby up. A lot of people are like, don't pick the baby up too much. You'll spoil them. Okay. Well, <laughs> they're babies. And they were just inside, you know, a body for so many months. So I think that 
they are scared and everything is unfamiliar and I just want to reassure them. So yeah, I'm going to pick up my freaking baby. Newsflash, you're not going to spoil them. I say that, but my toddler is in my lap all the time. I think if I never picked him up, he'd still want to be in my lap. Like emotionally, just hold the baby. Like holding babies does not make spoiled babies. That is one thing that I hate when older people say that. You're not, babies are not manipulative. Like they're not like, ha ha ha, I'm going to make her pick me up. They're not manipulating you. They're babies. And like, if they want to be held, it's because they want to be comforted. You know what I mean? Like, if a baby is super, especially once they can, like, really see, like, after a couple weeks, and their eyes can find, are not, like, blurry, and they're not, like, nearsighted or whatever, they're happy to sit in a chair and look at these toys in front of them and check them out for a minute. Like, and baby wearing will save your life. Like, baby wearing saved my life. And I personally want to hold my baby like people are like don't you want your arms free yes there are some times where I desperately want my arms free um but a lot of times I'm just like okay it's a bit when the baby's asleep I'm just like when are they gonna wake up so I can hold them like I can't and then like sometimes I'll pick them up in the middle of them sleeping just so I can hold them like it's bad because now they're awake but like they're babies so anyway went through that memory lane of birth and everything I feel like I'm I was really informed as a first-time parent. Of course, like, didn't know exactly what to expect. Now that I've done it twice, you know, I'm a pro. And especially at hospital births and just, like, knowing your language. And the only time I was threatened with a C-section was, like, with Mia, her... They had given me Pitocin at some point um, to, like, speed up my, to move things along. It was a first baby. It was a long labor. And at some point, the contractions were getting so bad. They were just squeezing her so much. Her heart rate dropped. And they ran in, and they gave me the shot. And they, like, had every, like, they had the other bed ready to go. Like, they were, like, does she have her epidural? Like, that, like they were trying to, like, do everything. And she was fine. Um, and I was like, that's what you get for giving me Pitocin. I just said, don't give me no Pitocin. Like, don't give me that crap. Um, and Stadol, they gave me Stadol with Mia. It does not take, they're like, it'll take the edge off. It just made me really loopy. And I still felt contractions. And then I still got an epidural. And having good nurses when you get an epidural is so important. I had my doula and I had Ethan. Um, actually, I think my doula had to step away while we, when, when I had Elliot. Um, but Ethan's really good because like you have to be in front of you and they have to be like ready to hold your body down because like the, the, because it's like a spinal, right? It'll, it can make you jump. Um, and I know people are like, oh, epidurals are the worst. Like I had, I still have back pain. I'm really sorry if that's your experience. Um, I sometimes like will feel like I have something on my back. And that's probably the only symptom that I ever had from it. I never had like spinal headaches or epidural headaches. Um, I really, really, really like the hospital that um, we delivered at both times. Really do. And it's not one that everyone will say. Like um, when I talk to people about giving birth, like moms in the area, everyone names these other hospitals. And I'm just so like, wow, really? This is mine. And it was really great. And so um, really like it, really, really like it. It's a smaller hospital too. Um, and they 
have a lot of Jewish women birthed there. And so, like, everything is, is, like, kosher and everything is kept kosher. So it's like, hey, is, is this not kosher? We need to know so we don't put it in the same fridge as this and stuff. And it, I think it's really cool because I grew up Seventh-day Adventist, which is nothing like being kosher or being Jewish. But there are some similarities when it comes to the Sabbath and there are some dietary restrictions. And so it's kind of cool to be in a, like, a religious kind of hospital in a way, even if it's not my religion. Um, oh, no, it's pretty cool. So with each of my births, um, they didn't go quite as planned, but they were still pretty good. Um, I felt really good about both of my experiences and it breaks my heart because I know some people don't have the best experience, um, for numerous reasons. There's some health disparities and and different things. And I was even listening to my friend talk about one of her friend's birth stories. And I was just listening to it. And it was like a first time mom. And I'm not going to get into too much detail, but I was really amazed at um, the process that she went through compared to the process I went through, which was like, really great. Um, And it really uh, just surprised me. Um, Anyway, so I am, I'm actually a really big fan of home births and birth center births. I feel like home births are like, if you're going to be at a birth center, you might as well be at home because, I mean, unless you don't want to deal with the cleanup and that's why you're doing it at the birth center. Because at that point, like, you're still going to have to like get all your things and leave eventually, at least like when you're home, like you're home. Um, But anyway, so from birth, we have our kids however they come into this world it's amazing no matter what that so many of us are moms and no matter how you got your kids whether it be through a c-section or a v-back or surrogacy or you know egg donation or foster care or adoption like however you get your kids that experience is unique to you and then like once you have kids this new version of you was born and you really figure everything out like you just figure and you figure out the way you want to do things and a lot of times at least in my experience it differs some from the way other generations might have done things and you have to tell other generations like no we don't do this we don't do that I remember I'll always talk about the story um when Mia was just kind of going through like a sleep regression and I was talking about how tired I was at work one day and one of my coworkers was like, oh, so did you start putting cereal in your baby's milk yet? And I was like, oh no, I don't do that. <laughs> like, I don't do that. And she's like, that's why they're, she's not sleeping. She's hungry. And I was like, um, well, no shame if you've done this. Like, I'm not shaming anybody, but for me in, in my home, I, I don't believe that that's what is. So when I, for me, like, when it came to feeding all of my kids, like their very first foods and everything, it's been like nutritional value. And so like I never did cereal, like rice cereal, because I felt like it was like empty calorie and not really empty calories, just like carbs. Like it was just like mush to make you feel full. So like have oatmeal and iron and blueberries, like do make like like do it up so that it's like nutritionally valuable at least that was my experience in my in my opinion and I 
just was like, I'm not going to put rice cereal in my baby's bottle. That's crazy. It's not meant for that. And doctors will like, you know, shy against that. But the other thing, though, is that doctors are also not a big fan of co-sleeping. And so I remember with Mia, I kept it a secret that I co-slept with her because I just was so fearful of like anyone doing anything to, to like separate me and my child. I remember being afraid that like, if I ever got hurt or if I ever got sick, I would have to be away, especially when you have like a new baby and you're, you're breastfeeding. It's like, I cannot physically be away from my child because they physically need me. Like they don't take bottle like they, and I need them to keep my supply. And so I remember just being super afraid of that. And then when I spoke with Elliot's doctor, who the way I chose the doctors were I researched in the area, checked with our insurance who, who covered. And, um, what you can do is you can set like initial interviews with with whoever you want to be your pediatrician and kind of like ask questions and things while you're still pregnant. And so I met Mia's doctor and she's Latina. And so I wanted someone, I kind of wanted someone of color because I felt like I'm a person of color. And so, um, I thought that would be cool. I don't know, a good experience. And she's great. We love her doctor. I think she's Latina. I mean, I say she's Latina. She's something. Um, no, she is. She's half Latina. Anyway, um, I'm, I'm going back to our initial conversations, like, of, of, like, when we were talking about our backgrounds and stuff. Um, and so, and then the way I chose Elliot's doctor is one time Mia was sick. And I had to take her to the doctors for, like, a sick visit. And her regular pediatrician wasn't there. She wasn't there. And she ended up seeing this other guy doctor. And he was so good with... Mia, like, like his bedside manner, like, you know how some doctors just don't have good bedside manner, even like some pediatricians can come off cold, because I met this one doctor who was just so cold that I was like, I will never see you again, um, for another sick visit one time, but he was just so good with Mia, and I was like, if I ever have a boy, I, I want him to be, um, his doctor, because I wanted my kids to have, because my thought was like, when I'm picking a pediatrician, I'm thinking like long term, like assuming that we stay somewhat in the area, like semi close by. I like the consistency of knowing the office, the practice and everything. And so um, I like our doctor's office. They have weekend hours if you need to like, like if someone's sick, they're not like for sick visits. Um, and they're just really great about everything. <laughs> and so I wanted Elliot to have a guy doctor because I felt like eventually, you know, little little babies turn into five, six, seven, eight year olds that have opinions. And I felt like maybe he would be cooler with a guy. And I felt like Mia might be more comfortable with a girl. And so that's how I picked my kids' doctors. Don't know why I'm going into that story. Oh, but um, um his doctor has, I think, five kids himself. And so, um, when I had Elliot, like Elliot was super breastfed. Like I said, like when he was born, like he was above his birth weight by the time we went to his two day appointment. So his doctor was like, wow, you guys are doing great. And I was like, yeah, you don't understand. I am making this child eat every time he opens his mouth because my supply is everything. And he was like, you know, I know breastfed babies often end up in the bed. I have, you know, five kids. It happened with us. Um, just make sure you're safe. And I was like, that's great because there's been such this, like this correlation with SIDS. And so for, for some parents, 
it's more comforting to know like my child is in a safe surface like in a crib you're not supposed to have blankets you're not supposed to have toys you're not supposed to have pillows you're just supposed to have like a sheet and like maybe a sleep sack or a swat like whatever you do and you're only supposed to swaddle babies until they can roll over then you have to stop swaddling them that's when you transition to a sleep sack right most of y'all know this because most of y'all are moms um, that listen to the podcast but so for some parents it feels safer to have your child just like in a crib right and my doctor, I don't know if everyone's doctor recommends this, but that they, that your child sleep in your room for the first year. So that's what my doctor recommended. Like, um, have your baby sleep in their crib, but in your room for the first year, because then you're like really close by. And I will not like, I, I am a, I am a super light sleeper. Like the littlest sound I'm like, huh, what's that? Like I, I sleep really, really light. Um, like I sleep pretty much with one eye open. And so, um, I did co-sleep and I feel like breastfed babies often do. And it was definitely so much easier than like getting up, going to another room. Cause at first I tried this sitting and I used to like put Mia like in her, I used to like, I remember in the middle of the night, I would take her out of her bassinet and go sit in the rocking chair and try to put her back to sleep and try to stay awake while rocking her where I couldn't really stay awake. It was just like, why am I just not in bed doing this? Um, anyway, so I'm definitely one of those mamas that's like a fan of safe co-sleeping and all of that. But like I said, you, you get things, you learn things on your own as a parent and then also from the other generation. In fact, my mom's the one who kind of made me feel comfortable with co-sleeping because she expressed that like, you know, we all kind of co-slept with her for a while. And now my brother, my second brother, my first brother, um, my first brother, like the, my, so it goes me and then my brother, Brendan. So he, I remember him being in the crib. I don't remember him because I remember he had a crib. He had his own room. And I remember him crying so much. <laughs> and so I don't know if he did. But my mom did. I know that my youngest two were in the bed with her. And that I would not leave the bed. I just kept coming back. So I think it's natural. And I also feel like with people who are like, oh, don't you want your bed back? Oh, my gosh. it's They're, they're three years old or whatever it is. It's like, I mean... First of all, if you're worried about intimacy with your husband or whatever, you need to be just creative. Like, if you can't be creative to figure it out, like, what are you doing? You can, there are many other options than the bed. And the other thing is that you only have, like, this really, like, short time when they're little. And, like, when they're little, they go through little fast. And Mia is four years old, and she's still little, like, but she's a, she's a grown person. Like she's still little in the sense that like, she's still figuring out her feelings. She's good at articulating when she's upset and she wants to be alone. Like earlier today, I was, um, trying to wrap her up like a burrito in a blanket. So she wanted me to wrap her up like a burrito and Elliot wanted to be wrapped up too. The blanket wasn't big enough for both of them to be like rolled up. So like it wasn't working. And so she got upset. And so I was trying to like move Elliot and like, like, hold on me. Like if I can move him, I can wrap you back up. The whole thing that happens once you have multiple kids and she got upset and she went and sat in the bathroom and in the bathroom, I have like three kids books or something from when she was potty training. Like here's a book to read while you go to the bathroom. And she was just sitting on her stool by the sink in the bathroom, reading her books and like calmed Elliot down, went to check on her. And I was like, hey, are you okay? What are you doing? And she's like, mom, I just need to be alone right now. 
And I was like, okay, when you're ready to come out, I'll be ready for you. And I just left her alone. She read her books. Like, she's a big, like, that's a big human thing to be able to communicate. Like, I need to be alone right now. Like, you continuing to talk to me is overstimulating me, essentially. Like, let me calm down on my own. And that's what she did. Um, So she's like a big human, but she's still little. Like, at some point, your kid is not going to want to be in your bed. At some point, they will no longer be afraid of the dark. Okay. To be honest, I never stopped being afraid of the dark until I became an adult. And I'm sometimes still scared. (laughs) So I say that they'll stop being afraid of the dark. I mean, it's like they'll stop coming to your room when they're afraid. Like, I would be 16 years old. Like, mom, I just had a bad dream. So my mom was probably like, Brittany, you are 16. For 16 years, you have come into my room about your bad dreams. So hopefully, I mean, I'm an extreme case. Most of the time, like, your kid gets older, becomes a preteen or whatever, and they it's not cool to sleep with your parents. They don't want to hang out with you anymore. Like, enjoy the time. And I know that as parents, one of the hardest things is, like, finding time for yourself. Something that I think we all really, really struggle with as moms is being overstimulated and touched out. That is probably the biggest thing for me is just the overstimulation of like I hear a toy going off right now Elliot's starting to cry now I hear the Paw Patrol theme song in the background and Mia's asking me to like play this game with her and then Ethan walks through the door and he's like hey Adam just like everybody shh for a second and a lot of times I'll turn everything off in the house like okay it's time for everything to be quiet because it's a lot um that overstimulation is is a lot and also this episode's running long but I have just like two more things to say so I'm gonna say them but yeah so it's it's hard okay my two more things and I'm gonna try to keep it kind of short and kind of quick so I am entering year five of marriage. I've been with my husband 10 years. And so what is interesting is that as time goes on, so I've been with this man since I was 19 and now I'm 29. So yeah, 10 years. And so what's interesting is that like, there's a, there's a difference in who I was at like 25 and even 26, 24, 25, 26 to who I am now and probably even to who I'll be in a year and maybe not drastically between now and next year but I feel like as you get closer to your 30s you change right and so for me I can tend to be really emotional I'm a very emotional person um I'm really in tune with my emotions I'm low-key psychic like there's a lot of I'm really intuitive. I'm a Pisces. So yeah, like my intuition is very, very strong. But aside from that, I am super emotional. And so what's something that has kind of come up in our relationship is here we are, we've been together for 10 years. We have two children, right? Two young children. And we have careers. And we're also figuring out how to, you know, move in our careers or move into a different career and all of this other stuff. So it's kind of like a lot is going on like right now. Like right now we're in the thick of a lot of stuff. And what what I've noticed is that in our relationship, um, my husband was reacting to things in a certain way based off how I used to act. And so we had a really good conversation this weekend 
because I felt like we weren't like jiving well. Like not that anything was wrong, but I felt like there was just instances where we weren't getting each other and I was trying to figure out like, okay, what, what is this? Like, what is going on? Life is chaotic. One, we need more time together for sure too, but like, what is it? And so we had this whole conversation and I realized that he has PTSD from younger me because younger me was super emotional and like very like the world is ending. Everything's over doom and gloom when I got upset, like breakdown upset so what happened is that the adult me right the the adult me I'm I'm very good at knowing what I need in a moment and when I need in a conversation and when I can and cannot accept certain things so there will be instances where I'll have a conversation with him and I'll say like in the beginning of it hey I would like to discuss whatever I am not, if this is going to be too hard for you, or if this is going to make you um, really upset or worked up, or if you need time to think about how you feel about this, then we can save this conversation for a later date. But let's pick the date right now. And this is what I want to talk about. And so I've gotten, for me, I've gotten really good at communicating, like, if it's something that's going on, this isn't an attack on you as a person, but this might be what I need in a moment. And this is what you're doing in a moment. And so just to get a better idea of like why you're doing this in this moment. And so, okay, so let me just kind of explain because it's very vague. So basically when I, like we were having this thing where like I would get upset about something or worried about something or try to figure out something. And I would be like, I don't know what to do. And whenever I get upset, it becomes I'm upset and there's also all these other factors. So I'm upset because I'm trying to figure out, let's say I'm trying to figure out my podcast content creating schedule, gym schedule. Let's say I'm like having a hard time finding time to do all the things I want to do. But also the dishes have to be done. The trash hasn't been taken out. I need to redo the kid's bedroom. And so for Ethan, we'll have this conversation. It'll start with me being upset about, I'm trying to content create or whatever. And I don't have any time because I'm a mom. and I don't have any friends because I'm a mom and all this other stuff. And he can't fix that part. But what he can do is do the dishes. And so instead of being like, okay, let's sit down and look at our schedules and see what makes sense. Like, okay, maybe you could get up early and I could stay with the kids and you could go to the gym on these days. Even though it sucks, it's annoying because you're going to have to disturb me and like give me the baby monitor or whatever. But hey, at least I got the kids. It becomes, you know, okay, he just goes and does the dishes. And I'm like, why are you doing the dishes right now? I'm trying to solve a problem. And so it became this whole thing where we're trying to like, he was like, well, I try to fix problems so that you don't have to worry about things. And I was like, well, sometimes I need you to just hear me out and not run away to the to-do list that I need to be fixed. So anyway, long story short, is that we just communicate and react and respond to things differently. And because I'm so, as women, I feel like we're just in tune with how, how we feel. Like, ask me how I feel, I'll tell you. Like, I feel sad, I feel upset, I feel anxious. You know, I, I'll just tell you straight up, this is how I feel. Talking to a, a man sometimes, at least in my experience, has been, 
it's coming off as like anger or frustration, but he doesn't know how he feels about the situation. And he's like, I don't know how he doesn't, he won't answer the question of how he's feeling. He's just, he's just telling me about the situation. I'm like, well, how are you feeling? Are you worried about this? Are you, um, just a little bit anxious? Are you angry about this situation? Um, like, are you burnt out? And so it's like, I kind of have to like give him words for him to figure out to like put with his feeling. And it's interesting. So anyway, the other thing that I just want to say about marriage and then I'm going to go because I said I was going to keep it short and I'm not, is that what will inevitably happen is that you will grow and evolve into the next level of you and you'll have to learn each other over and over and over again. It's not like, you know, Ethan has known me for 10 years, so he knows my favorite foods. He knows what I like, what I don't like. He knows my favorite songs, my favorite music artists, what movie I'm going to watch if I feel upset. He knows my favorite color. He knows that I love a, a throw blanket and a new pair of slippers that I feel like a new pair of pajamas, a new robe and slippers solves everything. He knows so much about who I am because we've been together for so long. But who I was at 19 is not who I am at 29. So 19 year old me who maybe, you know, at 29 still have some of the same insecurities and things. But you know, I was figuring out how to communicate. I was a lot more selfish. I hadn't I hadn't been through the ish yet. Like I thought I had been through it. But now the ish was coming. And so same for him where, you know, I'm used to him, you know, not wanting to do this or that or feeling this or that. Um, and so we've had to kind of learn, well, you are 32 and I'm 29. I'm a much better communicator and I'm a lot more rational and I can get upset about things, but I also have like faith-based experiences to go, well, things will work out. I just have to, <laughs> to give it to God, you know, or I, I, I can communicate with you what I need in the conversation, you know, like, so if I'm saying like, this is something that's bothering me, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. This is not an attack on um, you as a person. This is an attack. on Like, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm saying that this is how I'm feeling. And maybe I'm not understanding your reaction. So maybe we can get into that so I can better understand it. And you could see where I'm coming from and we can uh, like avoid this situation. Where before I'd be like, you're just so mean to me. You're just so mean. You don't even want to talk to me. You're so cranky. You don't want to ever go out with me or whatever, whatever, whatever. Well, grown up me is like, I know Ethan doesn't want to go out. I know he doesn't want to go out. I'm not going to force you to go out. Like I might force you, you know, twice a month. But I'm not making you leave the house. I will go out. And he, we, I've learned he is happy to stay home and have alone time and have me go out for a while. And it's no big deal. But anyway, so I feel like in marriage, what happens is you have to learn yourself, learn your partner, and learn your communication styles over and over and over again and keep trying to, to get to know the next level of this person and don't get stuck on the way things have been or the way things used to be. Um, when me and Ethan were talking, I was like, you're, you're, you're saying a lot of things that make sense because in the past I've acted certain ways. I've, I can be bratty um, and really emotional and really illogical. 
but you're, you're, you're thinking about 26-year-old me or 25-year-old me or even 24-year-old me where, you know, I haven't had a moment like that in a long time. Like, whenever I'm upset, this is how I come, you know. Can you please see the growth I've, I have? And I'll do the same for you. So, anyway, I know that some people don't think marriage is the end game or some people do. And I really do believe that marriage is beautiful. I really think it's worth it. I think it's hard. I think it makes you a better person because it is easy to just do your own thing. It's really easy to just do your own thing. Um, but in marriage, just be prepared for the inevitable growth that has to happen. And there's growing pains. I've been in a 10-year relationship you can't tell me we haven't grown in 10 years um, and that we haven't changed in 10 years and that our perspectives on life and the things we want to accomplish haven't changed. That's why having continuous conversations about like, well, what, would, what do you want to do in a year? What do you want to do in five years? And my Ethan hates these conversations because um, he doesn't know for sure. And I feel like that gives him anxiety because then he realizes he doesn't know. Um, while for me, if I don't know, I like to start brainstorming and planning and it gives me comfort knowing what direction I'm moving into. But it's good to see like, hey, I know that at the beginning of our marriage, we thought that you were going to be a teacher and I was going to be a journalist. Well, now we're in our 30s and I do not want to be a journalist. I want to be a podcaster and you are not a teacher. <laughs> so what is it that you want to do? Can I help? How can I help you accomplish your dreams? And this is how you can help me accomplish mine. But anyway, it's a mess. It's hard. And I would love to have him on the podcast. Um, he really hates doing these types of things. He really hates being on camera, which is just so um, interesting because I, I, I like thrive on that. Like I've always been very good at that kind of thing. And so it's just a funny dynamic. Um, but I do want to bring him on because I think there's a lot I have to say about marriage and parenting. Um, that would be interesting to hear from his perspective too. And also it would just be like a learning experience for me, but I'm going to go. Uh, this episode was super random. Um, if you haven't joined our group, the mom space on Facebook, send me a direct message on Instagram. You can find me at Christian mom uncensored on Instagram, and I can just send you the link right there to our clubhouse as well as to Facebook. I haven't done a clubhouse yet because I just want like two or three more members and then I'll schedule a couple times throughout the week for us to get on Clubhouse and talk to each other and, and then of course connect through Facebook. I talked about the initiative a lot and how it's launching in September. Um, I wanted to wait until I had a good group and the group is now growing so I feel like we have a good group to, for me to kind of share with you what I've been working on and see if it's helpful. Um, but continuing to grow like a, a healthy space for us to ask questions like hey what are you doing for Halloween hey do you give out candy hey like whatever whatever mom stuff we have to talk about um and if you're in the group you know my very exciting news that I haven't shared with the world and I will share with the world probably next week I keep putting it off because I want to have a whole conversation about it but if you follow me on TikTok you already know so yep Exciting things are coming. Um, I am definitely completely exhausted. And so I'm going to go. I'm going to go get some water. And I'm going to go watch the latest episode of The Kardashians. You guys know I love my reality TV. It is my vice. And I'm not giving it up. So I will talk to you all next week. Be safe. Be well. Be you. You're beautiful. You're strong. You're amazing. I'll see you on the flip side.